Welcome back to Inside Conclusions, the uh, Impress Jewelry Creations-based podcast. Impress Jewelry Creations is located here in Granger, Indiana. I'm your host, Ashley, and this is Bill. He's the owner of Impress. And today, we're going to talk about the biggest, sparkliest part of jewelry. We're going to talk about diamonds. It is. It's a topic that's been discussed a lot. We hope to bring some elements, no pun intended, into the discussion that perhaps haven't been considered and some really contemporary components to diamonds and things relating to diamonds that are um, topics of discussion uh, today as technology and, and, and things have changed in 2020. So we're going to jump right into this. So diamonds are actually made of carbon. They're made of carbon atoms. They're the strongest covalent bond, natural covalent bond known to man. Um, but where really do diamonds come from? We know we can mine them, but are they surface deep? Are they lower? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, without getting into a, a tremendous amount of geology, which is really, really interesting, and it's one of the aspects that I love about the business. Um, but diamonds are, are found all over the planet, but not in great quantities. Uh, there's certainly mines throughout Africa that are famous from South Africa to Zimbabwe, um, in Russia, even in the United States, uh, in Arkansas, there's an active uh, diamond mine. A, a state park is built around it, so we're not really mining diamonds per se, but you can go there and have fun and maybe find a diamond. Um, to Australia, uh, to the very northwest part of Canada. Uh, there's some of the, the world's newer, newer discovered diamond mines there. So uh, on a lot of the continents, we find them in, in small co- uh, quantities. Uh, most of the diamonds that, that we find are centered in, in areas that, uh, where we have kimberlite deposits. And so in, in kimberlite, in, in a nutshell, is ancient, ancient, really old volcanic tubes of magma, from at least 20 miles deep in the planet has been brought to the surface and is now reachable. So essentially we have these uh, tunnels, these vertical tunnels or shafts of material that contain in a certain quantity of, of diamonds. And it took magma from very far down in the planet. We, we, can ne- we will explore Mars and Venus long before we can go 20 miles deep in this planet. It, it, it's it's so less survivable from a pressure and temperature standpoint that we will explore the solar system in person before we'll explore 20 miles deep in this planet. It's, it's just a fact. So, and, and that, those type of conditions to form diamonds is what was required millenniums ago, millions and millions and hundreds of millions of years ago for diamonds to form. But through upwelling and te- plate tectonics and whatnot, they've been brought in these locations on these different continents close enough to the surface through kimberlite tubes uh, where we can actively mine and sift away the other material that's there finding uh, enough mineable quantities of diamonds. There may be diamonds here but if there isn't enough diamond quantity found to make it feasible economically we won't spend the money excavating and buying property and exploring. They'll just sit there unexplored for who knows how long. So technology and our ability to dig cheap enough uh, into the planet has uh, affected our ability to find and why we occasionally find a new source for diamonds. Yeah, and mining diamonds is an expensive process, not just because you're 
you know, excavating the dirt, but part of the Kimberly process for, you know, avoiding those blood diamonds that people talk about um, is that companies actually have to collect fauna and flora and even microscopic um, life, and they have to keep it safe until they fill it back in, right? Until they they transplant it back and, and, and try to recreate the landscape to to which it was before that exploration. So you bring up the Kimberly process. So sometimes there's stigma when it, when we talk about diamonds. Uh, it's a controlled resource. There, there's some major players, major corporations historically that have owned and controlled diamond supplies, much like oil. Yeah. Um, there certainly is interest monetarily for that. But the reality is it's very expensive to get out of the ground. It only occurs in a handful of places on the planet. And it takes a lot of equipment and a lot of expertise to even find those spots. It's, it's not like you just look on a map and say, I think there's something there. The exploration that goes into it is tremendous. And then the fact that that Kimberly process, which is a, a, a United Nations sanctioned process that certifies uh, that the diamonds that we mine today, and this has been the case for over two decades, the UN has put this in place, and, and the United States, and diamonds that come into the United States for sale. I can't buy a diamond outside of that Kimberly process certifying that those diamonds didn't uh, supply funds to uh, civil war right, or to Not terrorism. Not can you purchase those. No, you can. And is there back channels? There's always back channels for things. But the majority of diamonds that, that come for sale in the United States uh, certainly meet that criteria of the Kimberly process where um, environmental uh, sensitivities have taken place, where work condition sensitivities have taken place for the people that are actually working there. Um, and, and and that's a really big thing too. We talk about you know diamond mines and, and that and oh my god it's terrible, it's affecting the environment. There isn't a thing that we do on this planet that doesn't affect the environment. That Our very breathing affects the environment around us. The, the reality is, is that in these areas on the planet where we find diamonds, they happen to be some of the most inhospitable part of parts of the planet. Yeah. Really cold, really hot, really deserty. Um, and the people that live in these areas, unlike the United States, we're blessed. We have, I mean, we're known as the breadbasket of the world. I mean, for a reason that we can do lots of things with our soil. There's so many places in Africa, using that as an example, where the people that live do not have access to the resources that we do. They do not have the ability to start businesses and and, and, and have an entire economy based on pr- production of whatever it might be. And their ability to generate income is limited many times by what's under their feet. And it literally is that they live in an area on the planet that has access or where there are natural resources to be found. And in some of these cases, diamond mining is the only viable mechanism for meaningful, gainful employment for the people that live in those areas. So it's not all bad. I mean, we can boil it down to that we all have an impact on the environment and we want to minimize that and, and be sensitive to it. The reality is we need to feed our families. Right. And without saying that all these people in South Africa or in Zimbabwe or Uganda should just move away. That's really easy to say. But the reality is, this is where they live and where their families live and where they right. come from. This is what they have for work. And, and the fact that we're able, through the Kimberly process, to have supply channels that are ethical set up to purchase 
we have access and can provide some means of employment uh, to these individuals that otherwise wouldn't have it. So even from that big picture, mm-hmm. it's 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 a good thing. It is a global industry. Well, and I know as well with the Kimberly process, it's not just how you mine. It's not just um, preserving the environment. But with the Kimberly process, those who employ the locals, they have to also provide medical care. So hospitals are built. Sure, clean drinking water initiatives. Uh, many schools things. Schools are built. Schools, exactly. So these people, not only do they go from having maybe very little or having to travel for work, now it's closer to home and cities will build around these mines. And it sometimes can be very devastating when these mines are run when out. When they close, when they run out, it is. It, it affects, and we've seen that in the United States when we talk about uh, the West Virginia coal mines. You know, entire... Uh, counties and, and abandoned. abandoned because you know the the two major corporations that had set up shop in order to extract coal um, you know there wasn't enough profitability there and they went away and towns disappeared so you know the reality is is that everything changes around us we want to have a meaningful impact to our families uh, we want to minimize our impact to the environment um, but the gemstone trade and the diamond trade Although you can point fingers at any industry as could be better, absolutely 100%. But the, the world diamond trade provides an income stream to disenfranchised, many times disenfranchised people, disadvantaged people that don't have the economic resources that we take for granted that we have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's just something to keep in mind. It, it does, the natural diamond trade does trickle down to people at the core level of actually Providing processing jobs. dirt to find diamonds. It, it does provide jobs uh, at, at, at some level. And security in that. So we'll move a little bit on the topic uh, back to specifically diamonds. And GIA, the Gemological Institute of America, is the top um, company to certify your diamond. But it, there are others out there. It is. It's, it's an institute, an educational institute. They're a college level uh, institution where you can go for a four-year degree or any parts of that degree. Internationally, they're recognized as the top-tier, best, uh, definitive word when it comes to things relating to gemology, which is the study of minerals um, and describing those minerals from a quality standpoint, attribute-wise. Um, and then that funnels directly into the jewelry industry eventually with uh, a lot of these amazing things that are found in the planet. Uh, coming up for sale and we actually know what it is and can build pieces of jewelry around it that are practical for the the properties of a particular gemstone specifically yeah and they basically this certificate is like a a birth certificate for your diamond many times it is we we can request uh, an origin report which can trace all the way back to the mine that a gemstone came from whether it's a diamond or, or a colored gemstone um, certainly the uh, treatments and other things that have been done to it to enhance its beauty and, and whatnot. But it, it is like a birth certificate and describing that. And we supply um, and recommend uh, of our finer gemstones and, and diamonds, anything of significance really should have a GIA report, in my opinion. And there are other companies sure. who do them, but I know for a fact that you really should look to see what other what these companies really do? What are some other trusted companies that you would say? You know, really the only other one that cuts the mustard for me is the American Gem Society. They, so an, an AGS report, uh, much, much smaller entity than GIA, but I think as ethical and I think as consistent. They have different guidelines and overlapping terminology that's very similar 
So I think both of those are good consumer advocate groups that help normalize and describe diamonds in a way that allows a consumer to buy with confidence. And, and at, when we get to the consumer side of things, that's really what it's about is I have a piece of paper that describes the attributes of the diamond I'm thinking of buying in such a way that I can sell it to another one or pass it on to a family member with the assurance that really is that, not some made up, you know, made to make me feel better about my purchase type thing. Right. And so, and there's a lot of entities, and I won't name them, um, who wants to get sued, but there's lots of other entities out there that produce laboratory reports describing diamonds. I mean, there's so many Chinese companies. You go and look on eBay and just a bunch of letters together. Oh, it's certified in China. Not there's anything wrong with China, just you need to be careful on what where your diamonds are certified from. And you'll find that in in research that you do, that GIA is really the the best in that. But AGS or GIA with GIA getting the nod are are who I would go to for diamond analysis and description. So um, we won't go over the four C's, five C's. No, that's pretty basic, and it's something that's easy for people to find. Yep, and if you don't know what those are, certainly you can message us on Facebook or go to our website, infrastrollers.com, and ask us to, or you do a Google search, the four C's. Um, But one thing I do want to talk about is colored diamonds. So when people think diamonds, they think that translucent, they think of that, you know, rainbow sparkle, but... There are actually all kinds of colors of diamonds. Yeah, diamonds are, are literally available in almost every color of the rainbow. And it, it's a function of rarity, where, um, where they're found, how many are found, how big are they when they're found. And of course, you know, to your, set, to your point of translucent diamonds, generally when we think of matrimonial diamonds, diamonds used in engagement rings or in, in wedding jewelry, um, we think of white being pure and desirable, and, and it is. It, it's kind of the benchmark of that. Right. But certainly from all the way to, uh, in fashion jewelry, black diamonds, which are diamonds that have a disproportionate amount of graphite-type inclusions yep. in them that affect its coloration and affect how opaque it is. So carbon and graphite are very similar uh, on the periodic table of elements, very closely related Um but carbon and the lattice work that it, that it forms when when it's created extremely slowly, very deep down in the planet, can yield an exceptionally clear crystal structure. Whereas graphite, we think of lead in pencils, which is graphite, as opaque and not clear. Right. So that's the other end of the scale. But in between, from blue diamonds to red diamonds to green and, and yellow diamonds, um, I know you have some specific things to cover, but you know the most common attribute that we see in diamonds, the the color scale, one of the four C's that you inferred, is is a scale that, in talking about GIA or AGS, those two laboratories, those two agencies, we're describing the degree of colorless or white to the degree of yellow in in the particular diamond. Yep. So increasing the amount of yellow and its intensity and its hue goes up the letter grade of having more prominence in that. And when it comes to yellow, it's pretty simple and it's very common. Um, it's really a nitrogen infusion into that, that like you talked about, the, co- the, the covalent bonds being extremely strong and carbon 
but occasionally nature mixes in nitrogen. It's a little something in there. And it gets in there just to the enough where you can't see it per se as like a speck in the diamond, but it's affected how light passes through and it filters out some light and it leaves a diamond that has a, a slight yellow tone to it or an extremely vivid yellow cast to it and, like, and that um, all has to food coloring and water it is a, a tiny little drop just kind of affects and, and and morphs its way in there so when we talk about on the scale of white to yellow we're talking about what degree of nitrogen is in the diamond and, and its effect on the clarity and of the stone. just to kind it's of optical clarity i should say that. to go through these quick nitrogen can cause the yellow or the orange color right. um it, green is usually by a high radiation when it is right. formed. A lot of diamonds are, are formed so deep in the planet. And we know there's uranium and other things that we mine on the planet that are naturally decaying radioactive elements. Um, and in the proximity of those, these, these diamonds that have formed, again, over eons of time under pressure and temperature, close by to perhaps a deposit of, radi uh, of uranium. And that chemically alters the atomic structure of that, and the diamond looks green. It's amazing. Um, blue we've, diamonds will have boron in them, and we've actually had a what was an ice blue diamond. Just You could see just a little bit of a blue in it. But that natural, 100%. Absolutely gorgeous and, and rare. Yeah, it gives a new term to uh, ice for diamonds. Um, of course, there's also olive and gray, which is a mixture of boron and nitrogen. Some gray diamonds, very popular, and just the steel color that's really different. It's um, really cool looking. You know, all these colors, these diamonds are super durable. Yeah. Able to be worn all the time. They're and still they diamonds. Color. Um, it gives some, some great options for someone to wear on their hand and wear it every day and not have to worry about it like they would a softer colored gemstone. Um, and still has some color, which is just interesting. Um, and I know there's lots of other colors, but one I did want to touch on was the pink and the red yeah, diamonds. probably the most interesting one, absolutely. Now, there, people are always researching what makes these diamonds that color, and there's not a trace element that we can find. Right, whereas on the other colors, it's an impurity. Right. It's nitrogen, it's boron, or it's the effect of radiation. We, something we can tactily measure. Right. We can put it in and through x-ray fluoroscopy or some other scientific method we're able to determine that there is another element mixed into this carbon lattice work that's affecting our perception of color. It affects how light passes through it. But in the case of pink and red, it's it's another animal. It's completely and it, it's yeah. to your shrug. It's as much money as De Beers and some of these other larger companies have thrown at it. To this day we still don't understand entirely we have some theories about what causes red diamonds or pink diamonds and the fact that they only are found in certain places on the planet and in mines um, which the the best theory is and there's uh, in the very north uh, in the very northwest corner of Australia is the Argyle mine and it's a mine that and talking about mines going out of business because there's not as much production the Argyle mine is set to close here in 2020. It's been, yeah. it's been an operation for years and years. the process has already started of them closing. Yes, they're, they're starting to bring the operation down, wind it down. I mean, it was a mega operation. But from what science understands at this point, the red and pink hue of diamonds is a result of immense pressure and temperature. And we talked about early on in the podcast that most diamonds are formed somewhere at 20 miles deep, maybe a little more, a little less. Again, it's theory. Nobody can go down there and actually see, right? 
So, but we can we can study the, the, the chemical bonds and other things that give us clues to the formation of this. Well, red and pink diamonds, the theory is, is that they had to be formed from 80 to 120 miles deep in the planet. So when we talk about kimberlite, again, diamond-bearing magma that has upwelled from 100 miles deep in the planet and reached close enough to the surface that we could dig an ant hole enough and like, oh my God, there's diamonds down here and this one's pink, gives us a clue that this particular upwelling of magma came from really, really deep in the planet. And it's the amount of pressure difference and temperature difference from 20 miles to 100 miles deep in the planet is, it's at that point, it's like hotter than some places on the sun. Right. And, and, I, and I think a lot of people, it's lost on a lot of people. We think the sun, the sun is this, you know, tell all, it's the hottest thing ever, anywhere. It's actually not true. They're, they're, the core of this planet is, is hotter than the surface of the sun. You know, when it comes to stars, it's not even the hottest star. It, and it's, it's actually fairly cool. So the fact that these pink diamonds and red diamonds, they're so rare because they come from so deep and the pressures and temperature were so immense that they've actually have changed the chemical structure of carbon itself, just carbon. And science best guess is that it alters and filters out, I think it's green light, um, from the uh, the ability of a full spectrum daylight to pass through it, and we see pink, we see red. So it's not an impurity. They can't detect any impurity in this. It's just a difference in the structure because it was done under so much pressure uh, on that. And I'm going to segue just really quick. I know we have probably about uh, eight minutes left for the podcast, but the other type of diamonds that we find, and it's really really interesting, and it can be the source, uh, maybe the subject of another podcast, which has to do with some of our plate tectonics and geology, but it has to do with alluvial diamonds. So we find alluvial diamonds in uh, places like Argentina uh, and some of these other things that don't have any mines that we can dig and we can't find any diamonds really in the ground because we can't find any kimberlite, but we find these diamonds that are near the surface. And the only explanation is that in different places on the different continents in Pangaea, Google it if you, if you haven't heard of Pangaea or remember it back in high school geology, but when the uh, different continents were nestled together and we talk about the African continent eroding and some of that eroded material shifting off onto what became South America. And so these diamonds that are near the surface, there isn't any kimberlite in those parts of South America, but here we are diamonds. And the only logical explanation is that it nestled up against this side of Africa and this is where those diamonds came from. So we have washed down from mountainside, kimberlite mountains or mountains containing kimberlite and diamonds washed down, landed on a beach, that beach eventually became somewhere in South America. And so we, now we have alluvial diamonds. So anyways, it's just, it's always interesting on things like this of, of where our gemstones come from. Um, so one other thing I wanted to talk about too, a lot of people, you know, their diamonds unique in theirs, but really, I mean, you mentioned these diamonds are thousands, millions of years old. Yeah, it's, you know, depending on how old you think the universe is and, and studies of that, but, but millions and millions. The, the time that it takes to create them, to create that perfect lattice work, is, it's, it's not a, a fast process in nature. Right. And kind of to hint at our next podcast, you know, you can also have, you know, that natural cook time, if you will, versus a synthetic cook time where we have these great big machines that take up an entire room and they can from a sliver of diamond create a new one it is 
So we've gotten into the world, and, and it's been a developing thing for 20 years or so. Um, at least, let's say, in the last 20 years, more common knowledge in the jewelry industry. Right. So in the pure scientific research laboratories, I'm sure it's been discussed for a lot longer, but the ability for, for humans to create and synthesize diamond is now at our fingertips, and it's being done every day. And we can uh, talk about more and the pluses and minuses and, and what that means for uh, jewelry purchasing, but absolutely today you have the option of buying naturally mined diamonds, uh, whether you want to buy diamonds that come from a specific country or avoid a certain continent. Maybe you just want to buy Canadian source diamonds and, and, and we have that option and we know that we can get diamonds from there. Maybe you feel more comfortable with a, with a lab-grown diamond that's been made in a laboratory and hasn't been dug out of the planet. And for whatever ideological or uh, political reason or motivation you might have, it's, it's whatever you want to do, there's an answer for everyone when it comes to diamonds now. Yeah, and one option too for diamonds that we like to do here is using a family diamond. I mentioned that, you know, we've had these natural diamonds are not unique to you necessarily. They've always, almost all of them have been previously owned by somebody else. Many, many times, that's, that's a fact. But when somebody comes in and, you know, this was my grandmother's diamond, we can take that diamond and we can leave it as is. We can have it recut, reshaped. Recut, absolutely. All those things are done. And, and I think at Impress, we uh, absolutely treasure the opportunity that we have to connect with clients when we take a memorable item, a family heirloom that's been passed down. And, you know, an individual today that has an opinion and a, uh, a style of their own doesn't necessarily want to wear their great-grandmother's jewelry as is, and maybe it's not even survivable as it is because it's 80 years old or 100 years old or whatnot. It's been worn for that long. It's been loved and enjoyed for that much time, and now it's time to do something with the more permanent part of that, which is usually the gemstone, or in this case, the diamond, which is almost always able to be salvaged and, and reused, is that we connect with you on every level to find out who who that came from, what it means to you, what do you want to do with it, how do you want to wear it, and then, obviously, how do we incorporate your personal sense of style and taste to make it just the way that you want? And, and that's what our, our, our people here at Impress, from Ashley to our four goldsmiths, which include myself, to our, our, our experienced sales staff that just absolutely love learning your story. Um, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. So one last thing I want to touch on, um, and if anybody else brings it up, is the Star 129 Diamonds. It's a pretty interesting name. Can you just touch a little bit on what a Star 129 is? So there's a hundred shapes of diamonds, and when we talk about diamond cut, at the surface, many times we're just talking about its shape. Is it square, which we call a princess cut? Is it rectangular, which we might call an emerald cut? Is it round, which we might call a round brilliant cut? Uh, so with that, this, uh, a round brilliant cut in, in modern terms is generally a 58 facet gemstone. So we've taken a piece of diamond and we've proportioned it in such a way that yields 58 facets. Including top and bottom. Including the very bottom point to the very top flat octagonal facet. And in that, the math of that can yield a diamond that has the most sparkle possible. The, the round cut does the best at that. So 58 facets. So there's been uh, some exploration 
in experimentation by certain companies that have taken that traditional round 58 facet and played with the geometry of it with either the deletion or addition of faceting. And so we're one of the only uh, companies in the area to carry the Star 129 diamond, which is, as the name implies, a diamond that has 129 facets. And what it does is it breaks up the play of light into much smaller flashes. So the 58 facet diamond, when we look down on it, of whatever size diamond, the, the individual panes that we can see and the flashes that we see are of a certain size. So the Star 129 essentially cuts those in half by, or a little bit more. So we see more smaller points of light and refraction, which we take natural full spectrum daylight, which is white light, and we break it down, or diamonds break it down into like a prismatic effect. Remember prisms from, from school days Pink where Floyd. we see the, the red Pink Floyd, perfect <laughs> prism, exactly. The rainbow of colors that is a result of breaking down uh, full spectrum light into its primary colors. And diamonds do that through refraction. So the Star 129 just does it excellently into smaller panels of rainbows, so essentially. So more sparkle. So it's more sparkle. And smaller sparkles, but more sparkles. And that is um, something that we do and, and have that I think is really unique to us. And so it's worth a look. It's a different take on a classic. Awesome. So that is all the time we have. Yes, I know as my our said. Yeah, and I know our video just cut out on us, so sorry to everybody who's watching the video. We'll keep the audio in. Um, thank you so much, Bill, for sitting down with me again. Next time, we're going to talk about diamond alternatives, not necessarily just um, lab-grown diamonds, but moissanite, cubic zirconia, and some of these other options that people Substitutes have. that people are using, and there's good reasons for it and, and things to know about it and understand. Right. So thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening to uh, this episode of Inside Inclus Inclusions. Uh, join us next time, and we'll give you a little more information about the world of gemology. Thanks so much.